the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, as the war in the Ukraine continues, what should we be doing over here? And then we continue to get ready for the Easter celebration. You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today as we continue the uh, the happy march, Aubrey, towards Easter. We're going like to talk about that throughout our show. I like that you, I like that you our described show. it as the happy march. That's nice. The happy right, march towards Easter. That's right. Go so, ahead. Sometimes a march has kind of a negative connotation, but we're moving towards Easter. I'm getting excited. It is jokingly us pastors kind of describe it as Super Bowl, right? It's the big <laughs> uh, time for us. But yeah, super, super excited. I should start as we always start. How are you today? Uh, thank you for asking. Do you remember how I told you I had that neck issue over the weekend? Yes. It's, it's yes. Brian. So I'm feeling like an old lady. You were saying... You had something that made you feel like an old man this morning. So you and I are kind of falling apart. The people need to pray for us. You you brought it up. I need to to share. I told you we need to do a new segment because there's a daily thing that makes me feel old. Uh, And today it was I literally fell in the shower. (laughs) So Uh, I slipped uh, and fell. I think you need to tell our people what what Keith Conrad, our executive producer, said about that because I think it's very entertaining. So he said one of the indicators of getting old is whether people are concerned or laugh when they hear that you fell. (laughs) So, uh, yes, I banged my arm, but I am totally fine. But, yes, I had that moment of going, yep, yep, just getting old, just Just continuing the march. My neck over here, I'm kind of, you know, kinked over. So we're both, you and I are falling apart today. We are falling apart. Well, we are excited to talk more today about Easter. Looking forward to it. It is the day that we celebrate where our hope lies and we want to continue pointing us towards that but Aubrey I do want to start uh, with the continued um, events in the Ukraine right now and as you watch whether you're watching the Today Show or one of the morning shows or turn on the news or whatever else it is daily you are confronted with the level of evil that has and continues to take place there. Just, uh, you know, war is evil, like yeah. just the idea of war, but the, uh, the atrocities, yeah. uh, that now as the Ukrainians are kind of taking back some of their cities and going back into the places where the Russians had uh. kind of occupied, they're starting to find uh. the level of evil and the innocent people who were killed and the war crimes and atrocities that have taken place. And I don't know. It, I don't know if it makes it worse than just the war in general, but it just adds human faces to it. You start hearing some of these interviews and, uh, Aubrey, we will talk here in a second. What do, it's a reminder that we have a role as the church yeah, here. What yeah, should we be doing? Yeah. But 
It's really overwhelming to just even read or hear these stories right now about the level of evil that has taken place. Oh, it's so devastating. And I, I, you know, it's interesting. This morning I was driving my youngest to school and I had my, my husband had driven my car yesterday. He tends to listen to NPR and he had NPR on. And the the first thing that we heard was, uh, you know, we'll be covering the Ukraine all day. And my initial instinct, honestly, was to turn it off so that my 100%. son didn't hear it. And I, I definitely had this moment of conviction where it was like, I can't grow tired of, I mean, these people are suffering. It's so devastating. Like you said, now they're going back and seeing how mortifying everything is, how violent the Russians have been. It's not, it, it is not okay for me to just turn the volume down because I feel tired of it. And mm. I do, you know, it's okay, I think, for us to disengage, right? Like we don't have to constantly be reminding ourselves of the trauma. But what I don't want to do is grow desensitized to the mm. pain that the Ukrainian people are in and stop praying, stop having compassion, yeah. stop making this like a primary concern of my heart and my life. And so it was just this interesting, like instinctual moment where I was like, okay. Anytime I'm tempted to turn the volume down or turn this off, I got to stop and pray because these people don't have the option to do that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I I have that same feeling like, oh, my 12-year-old's in the – and there, you do need to take um, – you know, you do need some boundaries with your kids absolutely, and what they are willing to hear. Not, but, absolutely. But I, I do feel that immediately like, oh, should we be watching this? Oh, should I turn this off? And quite frankly, like you said – do I want to hear this yeah, anymore? Yeah. Do I want to hear? But, but you're reading and hearing these stories of, uh, you know, just the scores of people who were just executed yeah. and oh, just, um, you know, just raped or brutalized or oh. whatever else. And, and you're like, I know war is terrible, but to hear these stories is, is overwhelming. Yeah. And so the question becomes, as you're watching this, as you're becoming overwhelmed, as you struggle with it, what do we do mm. as Christ followers here in the West on the other side of the world? Mm. And at the Gospel Coalition, they, uh, they wrote this article. They did this interview and it says, Ukrainian seminary professors plea. Please don't tire of praying. And, and it's this story. Mm of a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament studies at the Evangelical Reform Seminary of Ukraine. You remember we talked the other day about a seminary president who had been killed, killed. right? Yes. Um, Ugh, and and so uh, but let me read just one of the things this person says. His name is last name is Minikov. He says Minikov also hopes Christians around the world will continue to pray for Ukraine. Listen to this line. He says <clears throat> People get tired of bad news and they forget, he said. So my request would be to please continue praying. You know how to pray. We want this war to end. Mm. He says, you grow, we grow tired of, when I read that line, I said, yeah, that's it. You know, mm. when anything that doesn't immediately affect you happens, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's, if it's not in your immediate sphere, we all get the energy to pray right away yep. and to send things yep. and to how can I help? Whether it be, you know, an earthquake and tornado and a tsunami on the other side of the world or whether it be a war yeah. or famine or whatever else. But naturally, human instinct is if it doesn't immediately affect me, to, that kind of wanes, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I, I really felt like this was a great call. Uh, don't forget us. Mm. Continue to pray. 
Um, and it's kind of what you touched on before, not allowing ourselves to be shut off from this, uh, because that is what happens, right? Like we do kind of move on. We do move on. And, uh, you know, and in one sense, like we've both been saying, it is human instinct to do that. But as people who, you know, claim the name of Jesus and want to stand with our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering, like this is a moment where we just have to, I don't know, put a note in your phone, send yourself a daily email, do what it takes to remember to just pause at meals, pause and pray for the Ukrainian people who are hurting. And, you know, even for the Russian people who did not want this invasion to take place and they're, and they're suffering in their own nation because they've stood against, you know, their, their leaders. The other thing that I really appreciate about this article, Brian, is, you know, he reminds us to pray for an end to war, period. Mm-hmm. Then also he says, though sorrows multiply, Minakov said he's trying to stay focused on opportunities for ministry. And you and I keep hearing those stories like the Lord is moving the gospel. Christians from all over the world are meeting needs in Ukraine. It doesn't make it OK. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean the pain isn't there. But I think that's another way we can pray too. that ministry keeps going forward. The gospel keeps going forward. He says this. I believe the Lord is using this terrible situation to to advance his gospel that's the only hope for the world i think that's mm-hmm. that's something else that we can pray for as we you know continue to to be awakened to what's happening right. in the ukraine yeah, I I, inter- I underline that as like that's the money quote in yeah, this article. Like yeah. the Lord is and, – and that's hard for us to grasp whether it's in – that's something going on in my life that is very personal, mm-hmm. right? Like a, a personal tragedy or something as, as a, a national tragedy like what's going on in the Ukraine and a dark evil and everything broken to believe that the Lord is still at work, right? Yeah. And this yeah. happened in the first century. What is it that spread the church? It was – uh, the pressure against the church. It was the martyrdom of the saints. It was all of that. And it still continues today. I'm still struck by what somebody told us when this first started, Aubrey, that uh, Ukraine is kind of the hub of evangelicalism in that part of the world. That and that this is going to. Yes, go ahead, Brian. This is going to serve to take the gospel. It's, it's the dispersion, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to serve to take it into Poland and to other places. You make a great point. That doesn't make this okay. That doesn't like you know, round off the edges that this isn't yeah. evil and a huge yeah. tragedy. But we can pray, Lord, uh, we know that you use these types of things to spread the gospel. Right. Would you do that again? And so the call is continue praying. Don't tire of praying. And so I think that's a great call to start our, our our show with today. Aubrey. Yes. Have you heard it is Easter week? It is Holy Week. It's very, Easter, very exciting. Easter is upon us. Let's start with the fluff of Easter. Yeah. You brought up before uh, before we broke last time, you brought up the Cadbury eggs. So let me lump them together. Okay. Cadbury eggs uh, and peeps. Peeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, staples of Easter for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to choose either, neither, or both of those. The Cadbury egg and Peeps. Oh, Cadbury egg all day long. I know it's a candy that people love or hate. Like, no one feels in between about it. I am deeply passionate about Cadbury cream eggs. And part of it is because they only come around once a year, so they feel extra special. But, I mean, I love those things. They are. What about peeps? How do you feel about peeps? I mean, I could eat a peep here and there, but like I could take it or leave it. I'd be fine if I never had a peep, but I'd, I'd be fine having a peep. I, I, have, I, am, uh, I have, you know, very average feelings about peeps. How about you? I am anti both of those. Yeah, I thought you might uh, be because you're a Grinch. But <laughs> <laughs> I see good. what you did there. Uh, but at Easter time, 
it does play into one of my candy obsessions. Okay. Uh, the jelly bean. Interesting. Wait, did I know this about you? The jelly bean I is like, a candy obsession of yours? I like – now, not black jelly beans, but all other jelly beans. I like everything really sweet. So it falls okay. into the line of like Skittles, Starburst, yeah, all gotcha, of these things. Gotcha. If I'm somewhere – if I'm in your house and you have a bowl of jelly beans out, that bowl – and I'm at your Sorry. house for, say, two hours. That bowl might be empty or only have black jelly beans left when I am done uh, <laughs> because I will devour them. So, uh, yes, I look forward to that here at Easter. But as you said, Aubrey, this is Holy Week. Uh, Good Friday coming up, but I want to focus on Sunday. I want to focus on Easter itself and the Easter celebration. Part of what you and I are committed to doing this week is pointing people towards Easter. Why does it matter? How do we prepare for it? Um, So let's start there. Somebody's not really church. They come up to you and they go, Aubrey, I know you're a church person. I keep hearing you talk about Easter. Let's ask a very foundational question. Why does it matter? Like Easter is a fun holiday. I like seeing my family. Why do you Christians make such a big deal out of this? Why do we make such a big deal about it? I mean, you know, I think I'm laughing because we make such a big deal about it because it really is the foundation of everything that we believe and do and hope mm-hmm. for. That is, uh, that's the gospel. And that's, you know, that's our good news. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. And so we make a big deal about it because like, we believe our lives depend on this, both mm. our eternal lives with uh, God one day and also our life now. We experience forgiveness. We experience abundance. We experience uh, his presence in our pain. And so really for for the Christian the resurrection is everything. The resurrection yes. is not just, you know, I, you said something similar yesterday. It's not just like the starting place for us. It's not just uh, others have said it's not just the diving board. It's the whole pool. Like hmm. we live and breathe and and exist because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we make a big deal about it because it is truly like the central, the, the cross and the resurrection are the centers of our faith. Absolutely. And so uh, I'm trying to think again about that person out there who just goes to church on Christmas and Easter and they they just kind of mm. bounce in and out because it's what you're supposed to do. But they're not really sure about this whole thing. Let, let me here. I'll pose the question to you this way. Um, really? Somebody got up from a grave? Like, do I do you actually <laughs> do you actually believe that that's really true? Or is this some sort of fanciful story that can still make the same point? Jesus defeated sin and death, whatever uh, historicity of the resurrection. You and I have talked about mm-hmm. this week that, no, it's it, this is an historical event. Why do you believe that the that the uh, that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Yeah, I mean, you know, we can talk. There's a few things we can talk a little bit about proof and one of the things that you and I have talked about that I tend to take I put a lot of stake in is the fact that all I mean mostly all of Jesus disciples died for this belief that Jesus was resurrected and so I it is I am hard-pressed to believe that someone would die for a conspiracy theory or someone Mm. would die for something they had made up Something would die for, someone would die for, I mean, there's peer pressure and things like that, but someone would die for something that they weren't actually deeply, deeply certain about. And then because we also have witnesses, I mean, you know, part of what Dr. Luke did in the book of Luke and Acts was go back and and like put together 
stories from those who actually witnessed the ministry of Jesus, including the resurrection. And those are, in some instances, eyewitnesses. And so I, mm. we can place our stake in that historicity as well. I think the enduring message of the cross, the fact that here we are 2,000 years later, and this is still the most like earth-shattering, shaking story that we know causes people to freak out or to fall down in worship. I think there's some evidence in that, that that's a story with power. And then I just know what Jesus has done in my life, Brian, and I can't deny that. Like, you know, when I was a middle schooler, God, like, I felt the Lord calling me to himself, and I marched down the aisle of a church, and I got saved. And that still feels like one of the greatest miracles, because that was Mm. the Holy Spirit moving in me and drawing me towards God. And I have looked back over my life and seen the evidence and grace and kindness of God, even in really, really difficult times. And so I put my trust and my hope in the resurrection because I've seen the evidence of God both in his word, but also in my life as well. That's well put. I think it it highlights this. It's not just about there being evidence for it, but it's also that there's not not evidence for it. Like we can have both of those things. So uh, how do we prep for this week? What do we there's a lot going on. You know, you got the normal week, but then you got Good Friday. You got Easter, probably family things going on, whatever else this week. Uh, let's both, both of us can do this. Let's give people one thing they could or should be doing this week to kind of not lose sight of what it is we're celebrating this week. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we keep saying, but I think it's really important, is find an Easter service or Good Friday service and attend with your family this week. Attend with a friend this week. That is one way you can just have, you know, an hour where you're really focused <laughs> on on this uh, hope that we have in Jesus. And then I would really recommend anyone going on YouVersion, uh, the Bible app. They have all kinds of devotions right now for Holy Week. Or if you're not mm-hmm. an app person, um, I ha- I would recommend a Holy Week devotional by Fleming Rutledge. You could get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books, and you could be reading that throughout the week just as a just as a way to sort of set your soul on the cross um, during this intentional time when the rest of the world is doing that as well. Yeah, I think I would I'd go with that and just say, what does it look like for you to slow down a little bit? How do you? How could you make this week different? Like, I think step back and go. All right, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm, I'm and I'm going to think about and ponder on the resurrection of Jesus. Like you said, also, I'm going to commit to going to a Good Friday service. I'm going to commit to joining in worship on Easter. Uh, we as a family are going to talk about what is Easter all about. Like, still invest in in the Easter basket and all the revelry right. around it. Like, this isn't like. We shouldn't do that. No, I've, go for it. Enjoy it. Make it a time for your kids. Uh, but also spend some time. Here's one. Read the the crucifixion and resurrection story this week straight from your Bible. They, I mean, Take, hello. There you go. Find a, you know, a cozy chair or outside or whatever else and take some time to read. Here's what we want to say to you. This is a big deal. It is reason for celebration and we don't want you to miss it this week. Uh, so, uh, invest your time in remembering that it is in the empty tomb that we have hope. That we have victory and that we want to hold on to that this week. All right. It's Easter. I'm fired up about it. I'm excited for it. Uh, We've brought up, we we try to help people understand who are some bloggers, who are some pastors to listen to, what are some books to read. Uh, And one of the blogs that I really enjoy is by uh, a guy who's had a blog for a long time by the name of Tim Chalice. Tim Chalice, I believe. C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. I'm a big fan of his, but he's, he's a wise guy. I can see why you keep reading his stuff. 
He is. You can find him at chalice.com. I find him to be, uh, A, the best thing about a writer. You know this. As a writer, is this, the writer gets you to think. Yes. Oh, okay. I hadn't really considered that. But also, I find him to be pretty middle road. Like, he's got opinions, but he's not like ultra conservative guy or ultra progressive guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he also, it's not like I'm axe to grind guy. It's like, yeah. hey, let's think about yeah. this. Let's go down this road. Uh, and, uh, he wrote this the other day called What Kind of Men? does the church need Uh, he says masculinity has become complicated at least it's become difficult to be confident what it means to be a man Mm. to be a man as god has designed men to be as the culture has plenty to say about toxic masculinity but far less to say about masculinity that's god uh good and honoring and so he's asking that question what kind of men does the church need and again i said before that i appreciate that he sends to be middle of the road you uh you and i have said this many times there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there but the answer is not to swing the pendulum and go we don't want men to be men at all right, like we right, want right. uh men particularly men in the church to be men of character um and to be men uh who are who God has called them to be and so we do, we want to land this in the middle and so what he's going to do here he says the heart of masculinity uh he's going to talk about a book here called the men we need by Brant Hansen and okay. that's what I want to get at He's uh, the Brandon Henson talks about masculinity uh, not being displayed in flexing muscles or fixing stuff or achieving sexual con- mm-hmm. uh, conquest. Rather, true masculinity is dis- displayed in being humble, responsible, dedicated keepers of the gardens God has given us, mm-hmm. being protectors and all of this stuff. But he's going to then go on to say, here's six decisions that will set us apart. So here's what I want to get at. I want to read the six and go through them. He wants to say this is the men of god this is uh these are six characteristics or decisions that we need if culture's saying it's about being a man's man yeah. and you know we jokingly last week talked about watching braveheart all the time <laughs> which i love or men do this men do this but we want to say no this is what a godly man does so okay. let me read them and uh and kind of get at them all right here's what we'll do i'll read them and the description and and then you can okay. respond first he says Forsake the fake and relish the real. Hansen's focus here is rejecting pornography and video games and other forms of virtuous longings. Mm-hmm. He says the hurting world and our hurting communities need us to solve real world problems, protect real world people and fight real world injustice. Actually, let me rephrase that a bit. The hurting world and our hurting communities need you to solve real world problems, protect real world people and fight real world injustice. Don't waste your God-given desire for adventure and accomplishment by being fake hero fighting, mm. fake injustices in fake world. Wow. So he la- he dives in right away to pornography, video games, these wow. kind of fake worlds. He wants to say, no, one of your roles as a God-honoring man is to fight injustice in the real world yeah. and to engage. What do you think about that? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. Like, I am thinking of several of my friends that are guys, you know, they're like my friend's husband. Husbands, but also my friends that play video games and they would not like video games being lumped in with pornography here. Uh, but that said, I get the I get the sentiment because I do have other friends who are, they're not just playing video games as like their fun thing they do instead of watching Netflix. But, you know, they spend a lot of their time kind of hidden away from their family 
Um, staying up way too late, like till like two, 3 a.m. playing video games instead of getting a good night's sleep. And then they're grumpy for their family the next day. And obviously, I don't even think I need to talk about how devastating pornography is for a family. But I think that the truth is what happens in both pornography and these online experiences is that we do begin to form attachments to them, Mm. emotional and our brain forms attachments to them. And because of that, then you are unable to have an attachment to like the actual people you're supposed to be attached to, your spouse being that primary person. That's and right. so I don't even know if I think this is about I need you to be in the real world solving my problems. Sure, maybe. I think this is more about like who are you attaching to as a man? Is it your spouse? Is it your family? Or is it this false, uh, destructive uh, virtual world? Yeah. And I do want to highlight, this doesn't mean that these don't also apply to women. This book was totally. saying trying to yeah, call yeah, men totally, to a totally. certain thing. Uh, but with that said, I'll never forget doing marit- marital counseling years ago for somebody. And their big, big hurdle was that the husband was going to work, coming home and having dinner with the family or something, and then playing yep. three, four hours of video games yep, on a real. headset with other people. Yep. And the wife is like, hello, hello, yeah. we're right here. Uh, so that's first. Second one is this protect the vulnerable here's what hansen says the people in your neighborhood at your school and at your workplace should be safer Mm. because you're there even if they don't know it Mm. this means men must be willing to protect others and must be steadfastly unwilling to become a Mm. threat to others men real men godly men protect the vulnerable what do you think of that yeah i love that i mean that's straight from the bible right that Mm -hmm. jesus cares most for the vulnerable and therefore we should too and i do think there's a there's a sense of American masculinity that actually makes fun of the vulnerable and the weak or puts them down. That's a good point. And so yeah. to reverse that as a man of God I and to actually be the one to like stand up for, protect, even uplift the vulnerable is, yes. I mean, I think he's right on with that one. Yep. Number three, uh, be ambitious about the right things. You will struggle with feeling meaningless when you choose to invest your time and energy in meaningless things. He says, hence, we must use our God-given ambition to pursue causes that actually matter. I I like this as all of us, but men uh, have ambition, right? We want to matter. We want to see he's good. You're going to have a choice about where to place that ambition Mm. and where and the call here is place your ambition on the things Jesus said to place our ambitions on. That's exactly right. To place the things that actually will have like eternal value and not just value here on this earth, because you could be ambitious and super successful at work. But meanwhile, you ignore your family. You know, there's lots of cautionary tales about that. And so I, I like that. Put that in the right perspective. Be ambitious. Yes. Make sure it's about godly things. Yeah, I like this next one. He says, make women and children feel safe, not threatened. Hansen says, I'm trying to be this kind of man, a man who makes his wife feel secure and protected. I know my wife is every bit my equal. I know she's highly intelligent and strong and creative and funny. I know she can survive with or without me, but it's my goal to see her thrive and flourish. I believe in her so strongly. I'm excited about what she can yet become. So it's not like my wife is so weak. She needs my protection. But instead, I'm going to be my wife's biggest cheerleader and protector and want to see my wife flourish. I I love that. Let me run through the next two. Choose today who you'll become tomorrow. Quite simply, who we will be tomorrow is a direct result of what we pay attention to Mm, today. I think that's a good one. And the next one. 
Take responsibility for your own spiritual life. This final chapter is dedicated to forming a real, open, honest relationship with the Lord, a loyalty to the God who is so very loyal to us. So this is a book called The Men We Need, kind of looking at not toxic masculinity, but godly biblical masculinity and what can that look like. I, I encourage you to go pick that up. Uh, Brian and I have been talking about how this is our Super Bowl week. This is it. Because it is Easter week. And we know some of you come from traditions where you might even have something every day this week. Or Thursday, you might have a Monday Thursday, uh, Monday Thursday service. Uh, Friday, you might have a Good Friday service. Um, Saturday, maybe you're going to spend the day in silence. Then, of course, Sunday... Uh, hopefully you'll be at a church celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on this week, not just Easter Sunday. The days leading up to Jesus's death and resurrection really matter. Brian, last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Did you preach a Palm Sunday? Oh, you were gone. Did your uh, pastor preach a Palm Sunday message or no? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So we tend to, here at Four Corners, we tend to preach whatever series we're in, we kind of shut it down for uh, for Holy Week. And so, yeah. you know, you end up preaching Palm Sunday message, yeah. Good Friday service, Easter. Because, yeah. yeah, that is... Uh, Palm Sunday becomes kind of the, the it kicks you off right, in, in right. your way you go. How about right. you guys? Yeah, we, so I preached on Sunday and it wasn't, it was a Palm Sunday message, but it was more about humility kind of connected to Palm mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then we don't, we used to do a Monday Thursday service, but it's been a long time, maybe because of COVID, we've taken a break from that. Um, sometimes we'll do, I don't know if we even have anything on schedule this week. We're really kind of lax, but we do a good Friday service just at our church office and then, of course, Sunday, we're going to have two services for Easter. I think this year we might just be doing Easter Sunday. So we're, we, we might have to you send used people to, do, to your church. Bring them over. What did you used to do for Monday, Thursday? Which, by the way, when I was younger, I always – I went years thinking that it was called Monday, Thursday. Oh, yeah, and I was of like, course. that makes of no course. sense. I mean, it's been but a long – was that service? Yeah, it's been a long time, but it would be more of like an intimate foot washing service, honestly, mm-hmm. which, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, definitely because of COVID, people aren't doing anymore, but – I have attended some Monday Thursday services, and they're all they're very very meaningful. Um, have you done a Monday Thursday service before at your church, or do you typically do no, Good Friday? Yeah, I do remember when I was at Glenelg Bible Church, we did some things. It wasn't like every year yeah. we did some things around Monday Thursday. Um, but no, we we tend to go Good Friday and then go dark Good Friday, mm-hmm. go celebratory Easter. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Monday Thursday, the the kind of the focus on, um, you know, the Passover supper, the yeah. Last Supper, yeah. but also then, like you said, the foot washing. That yeah. is where Jesus knelt down and washed his feet. And so, oftentimes, traditionally, the Monday Thursday service has that element. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is powerful and awkward. If you've ever had anybody <laughs> wash accurate. your feet or you've ever done other – and that's part of the point of it. Mm-hmm. But you're always kind of like, um, you done yet? You done? Right. You're, like, wow, no, you're, still, that's you're a weird. stranger and you're still touching my feet. And then you got to rub – you got to clean somebody else's feet. Right, you know? right. It's a, little, it's a little strange. But I guess you're right. That is the point of it because it shows like humility can be awkward, right? Like putting yourself in a position where you're willing to wash someone's feet. That's so intimate. That's so vulnerable. That's so uncomfortable. And that is what it requires of us, I think, to be, you know, actual servants like Jesus was. You know what's interesting, Brian, going back to the Good Friday service idea, I have only been to Good Friday services that, like you said, are are pretty dark and pretty solemn and I think very intentionally so. I saw someone on Twitter say, 
pastors, your Good Friday services don't have to be funerals. And I yeah. I kind of step back like, but I think the point is to spend the day in lament. And we're so quick to rush past that. That I think being able to being able to lament and focus on Jesus's suffering, like his actual death, the shedding of his blood, and taking that very very seriously, hmm. means when we get to Sunday, I think there's an even greater celebration. If we skip over the pain, I think we've maybe missed a lot of the message. What do you What do you think about that that tweet? So uh, I agree that Good Friday should be dark yeah. and it should be. Um, focused on the brutality of the, of the death of Jesus, of his arrest, of his, um, the betrayal, all of it. Yeah. Like this is the hard part of the story. And I think you have to, uh, take time explaining the cross and this and that. Now I will say, that are I think most Good Friday services do this, but we do end with communion, mm-hmm. which always feels, um, hopeful and yeah. celebratory. Yeah. But I mean, it's also part of the story, right, but right. Uh, I get what that person's saying. I don't, I probably wouldn't turn our Good Friday service celebratory. Yeah. Uh, but I also wouldn't do, have you ever been to churches and more power to them if you do this? Uh, you know, you've been to churches where Good Friday service, uh, you're actually not allowed to talk when you're leaving. I like, have been to please, those before. Yeah. Please leave in somber reflection. Mm-hmm. And come back ready to celebrate on yeah. Easter. And I get it. I totally get it yeah. as an extrovert and somebody who loves to talk to people You're at like, church. This, or I can't, people. this is not for me. I want to be like, let me still connect with people. And I can remember people would always be whispering like, how are you? Where are you going? <laughs> so I get it. But I, I did want to be like, maybe we could change this up a little yeah, bit. But yeah, yeah, Good Friday, I think, should be reflective. Yeah. It should be dark. It should be. The death of Jesus is not a happy story. Right, right. Uh, Like we joked yesterday, it's a good Friday for us, but Mm. the story is not good. Uh, and then it prepares your heart for the celebration of Easter. Yeah, that's good. Well, over at uh, uversion.com, they're, of course, posting a lot about this week, Holy Week. And they talk about Monday, Thursday or, um, you know, the Last Supper. And let me share something that they say. They say, at mm-hmm. Easter, we remember that Jesus's broken body put an end to our brokenness. But before we honor the resurrection, it's important to look back at the events that led up to Jesus's ultimate sacrifice. And one of those important events before hours before Jesus's death was the Last Supper. They say the timing of the Last Supper was special because it took place during Passover. And Why that matters, of course, is because after decades of oppression in Egypt, God was going to deliver his people from their slavery and bring them into the land he had promised them. But first, he had to raise a leader to help mobilize the Israelites, and that was Moses. And then finally, God uh, used Moses after the various plagues to help uh, provide an escape for the people. And what this author is saying is God provided something the Pharaoh never did, a way out. And then ultimately they tie this to Jesus. A thousand years later, Jesus and his disciples gathered around a table to celebrate the Passover. And of course, we know the famous words that we often say at our own communion tables. Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness mm. of sins. And then what this, what they're saying at you version is with these words, Jesus linked the Passover to God's plan to redeem yeah. the world. This wasn't an accident. And so I think that's, you know, that's a, a reminder for all of us why we take time out to celebrate 
Monday, Thursday, or a last, you know, a, a Passover meal, or take communion, like you were saying at your church, why we celebrate Good Friday, why we even reflect on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before, because all of these things have deep, deep meaning connecting us to the larger yeah. story of the Bible and what God has always been doing in initiating his plan to rescue us through Jesus Christ. Yeah, we want to be reminded that it's a week. Yeah. And you, you we, we touched on this yesterday, but Saturday is an important, that's always the forgotten day, mm. but it's an important one. Can you imagine what it was like to the disappointment, mm. the confusion after Jesus's death wow. pre-resurrection. Yeah. And it reminds us a lot of us are waiting for things. A lot of us are dealing with disappointment, the already not yet yeah. of the brokenness of this world. That's right. We're reminded of that on Saturday. So I would encourage people, don't go Good Friday just to Sunday. Make it the, you know, continue to engage, continue to go, even that Saturday of Easter weekend. Yeah, that's a good word for all of us, Brian. And again, Brian, you can go to Brian's Church, Four Corners. Yes. What time are your services, Brian? 9 and 10.30 on Sunday on Good Friday. We'll be together at 6 o'clock. And our church, Renewal Church, we are at uh, 9 and 10.45 on Sunday morning for Easter. All right, Brian, we You return. weren't so sure about that, were you? I know. You I'm so like, sure. uh, 9 and 10-ish? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as always, we love to invite you to engage with us on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our social media water cooler question is up for the week. We want to know your favorite comeback stories. <laughs> uh, we're going to share some of ours on Friday, but we want to um, hear from you. So again, if you find us at Common Good Talk, you can let us know your favorite fictional or non-fictional comeback stories. And Brian, there's something kind of exciting going on this month at the station. You want to tell us about it? Yup. In these uncertain times, it can be really hard to live with any sense of certainty. But in his book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Dr. David Jeremiah provides a biblical roadmap to living in certainty. During the month of April, you can enter to win a copy of this book along with unshakable confidence cards. Now, the unshakable confidence cards are 10 challenges to remind us to find confidence in our Heavenly Father and stay focused on Him. And one grand prize winner will win a signed leather-bound Jeremiah Study Bible. Everyone who enters will receive the April issue of Turning Points Devotional Magazine and an instant ebook download of The Seven Signs of Easter, Evidence of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's what you need to do. Enter today at 1160hope.com slash confidence and make sure to listen to Turning Point with David Jeremiah every weekday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on AM 1160. Okay, that's a that's a very exciting, a very exciting giveaway. Lots of prizes in that one prize. So that's Lots. pretty fun. Yeah, pretty yes. fun. All right, Brian, I'm going to go back to our boy Tim Keller. We talked about him uh sometime earlier this week and Keller is for people who don't know Tim Keller, I don't know where you are, who you are, but Tim <laughs> Keller was the pastor of Redeemer Prez in New York City. Uh, we have called him, other people have called him sort of the Yoda of like the church right. planting world in America. He's just one of those wise dudes. Mm -hmm. And he's very even keeled and he's very intelligent. And so uh, lots of people tend to go to him for wisdom. And one of the things that he was writing about on his Facebook page recently was, you know, if you want to engage an argument online, like perhaps there's uh, someone you disagree with online and you want to engage with their argument, he put some rules, some guidelines for us to follow that I, I thought were pretty interesting, Brian. And, and, you know, especially in this divided world 
that we live in and something you and I talk about a lot on The Common Good is how do we have nuance and how do we treat mm-hmm. people civilly even when we disagree with them? And so this is one of those conversations where there's actually some really practical handholds when we want to disagree with someone publicly online. So here's what he says. I'm just going to read these to you, Brian, and uh, get your feedback on them, okay? Okay. So the first guideline, he says, is never attribute an opinion to your opponent that they would not own. Hmm. That seems pretty obvious, but I think it does happen more often than not that we jump to conclusions about someone's opinions based on maybe something else, like we put, categorize them or put them in a box. Right. And what Tim Keller is saying, like, you can't do that. Like, unless they've stated that opinion, you can't assume that that's their opinion. What do you think about that one? Nah, I And I think sometimes people do this maliciously, like mm-hmm. I'm going to malign that person's name by saying they believe this, but also just by, like you said, assumptions. Well, they yeah. said this, so they must believe this. And therefore, now they're woke or they're se- mm-hmm. whatever. They're this. And you start uh, attributing opinions. And then someone like Tim Keller, who this is from practical experience, he gets it all the time, is going, wait, I never said that. I don't actually believe that. Or I don't. You've said this before. People who have said, because you guys have preached about X, Mm -hmm. uh, people think you believe A, B, and C. And you go, well, I I never actually said that. So when pushing back against somebody, push back about what they've actually said and what they've actually uh, said, this is what I believe, or this is my opinion on this topic. Yeah, that's good. Okay, this next one I think is harder said than done. He says to take your opponent's view in total, not selectively. How do you do that, Brian? Because I think what I'm seeing a lot of times online is someone pulls out a quote, right? Or, Or pulls out like one perspective, and that's the thing that they take issue with. But to take your opponent's views in total, I feel like that requires a lot of uh, time, research, making sure you actually know your opponent's views in total. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, you take someone like Keller and he's written more books than I've read. And so it does, but it's only fair, like as opposed to being like, wow, Aubrey wrote this on Twitter. Mm. Therefore, this is completely defines what she Mm. believes as opposed to, well, maybe she has said stuff in other places that help add some nuance to this and this. But again, so much of especially online dialogue, but is is like, gotcha. Right. Oh, you said this. I'm going to push back because now I can get some notoriety or whatever. And that's the problem with all of this. Uh, but Keller makes a good point. And this isn't just online stuff. This is just uh, – this is kind of conflict 101, right? I was right? thinking like, that too. Mm-hmm. If my wife does something that hurts my feelings, I shouldn't assume that now because she did that one thing that – Everything of our past 22 years no longer holds the covenant and the vows we made to each other on our wedding day no longer. No, she she just maybe had a bad day Mm -hmm. or I misinterpreted what she did or Mm -hmm. there's a, you know, take the the whole picture rather than just this one snapshot. Oh, that's so good. And that's so true, Brian. Okay, this this next one, uh, next guideline from Tim Keller kind of connects to what you uh, just said. But he says, just because someone says or fails to say something in one setting, either for good reasons or because of a misstep, does not mean they fail to say it repeatedly and emphatically in the rest of their work. Hmm. This kind of gotcha game is now rife on the internet. And this is what you were just talking about. Like we want to like almost catch somebody. It's like the Pharisees trying to like catch Jesus in the act. We want to catch him and show that they're wrong. But 
perhaps when we do that, we've missed that actually they say something different someplace else and they say it a lot. And so this, mm. again, it's interesting to me because I think this goes back to one grace. This goes back to assuming the best of that person that you disagree with. And again, it requires you being slow because mm. you have to take the time to do the work to find out what this person has said or not said in other places for the last few years. And I... This, this to me, I feel like everything Keller is saying is like, slow down and be very wise if you decide yes. to do this. Okay, Absolutely. Let me, let me read you the next two, Brian, and then you can respond. Number four, represent and engage your opponent's position in its very strongest form, not in a weak straw man form. I think that's really important, too, because, again, that honors your quote unquote opponent. Um, and five, you must take full responsibility for unwitting misrepresentation of someone else's views. All right. Uh, what do you think about those last two? Yeah, I don't like the whole take full responsibility. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to go public and critique somebody mm -hmm. in a public sphere, then you need to be ready to mm -hmm. uh, be publicly pushed back on and have to take responsibility yeah. if you didn't get it right. Yep. Yep. So I think that's good. I think the important one there is also number four. Aubrey, I, I think this whole conversation reminds us again that there is gray in the world. That just because somebody wrote something in 140 characters doesn't wow. mean that that's the totality of their theology or yeah. what they believe. Uh, that there's nuance in the world, mm -hmm. and that also we're we're the goal here is yes, it's purity of doctrine, it's not allowing people to go astray, it's protection of people, but it's also unity. Like, yeah, that's if you're right. like, I am going to tear down Tim Keller, I think you have a probably something wrong with yourself. Like, yeah. where is that urge coming from? As opposed to, hey, I want to like just point out where maybe he's off a little bit. Maybe, maybe I'm even going to ask him online, hey, mm -hmm. can you give some clarity mm -hmm. here? The whole gotcha thing goes against the whole. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? That's like, where's it. where? what role does unity play? And so I, I, I think these are good. But you know what? It's not going to change anything. This yeah. is the online world that we yeah. live in. Right. We, we want hot takes. We don't want this kind of wise, slow counsel and response. But ultimately, I think the reason Keller felt like he needed to put this up is because our witness for the gospel matters. And so we mm -hmm. need to be people of integrity, even as we're disagreeing or engaging arguments online. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news! It's the end of today's show, and at the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging and inspiring, or something just to put a smile on your face. And one of the things we like to do, especially with this is what I love about the common good, Brian. I mean, we go heavy. Like, we're talking Ukraine. We're talking church abuse. We're talking pain and suffering a lot. Like, we, we don't shy away from hard things, even if you and I are like, not again. I know. I know. But we also love to laugh, and we love to share good news stories just to, like, find little glimpses of hope in this dark, dark world. And one of the places we typically go for those is a website called the Good News Network. But I was actually looking at another site called theweek.com, and they have a briefing each week of just some good news stories. So they come. They've done our work for us. They compile good news stories for us. And this is actually from last week, uh, the week of the 7th. Good news stories around the world. So, Brian, why don't you kick it off with the first one? 
Number one, friendship between young girl and grocer sparks a movement to recognize kindness. In the produce department of the Publix in Fort Myers, Florida, a friendship was formed. Rachel Smith told Good Morning America she was drawn to the location because, quote, there was always such a culture of kindness. And no one embodied this more than this person whose last name is Gilnett. A grocer at the store for several years, he was always happy to see Smith and her daughter Fiona, now six. Gilnett taught her how to high five, which resulted in Fiona nicknaming him High Five. She always ran into the store to look for her friend. And for her third birthday in 2019, Gilnett surprised Fiona with a new bike. Whoa! He's priceless to us, they said. Gilnett was transferred early in the pandemic. And last week, after two years, Smith tracked Gilnett down at his new store and brought Fiona to visit. The pals were thrilled to reunite with Fiona running to Gilnett for a hug. Smith told GMA she's been in inspired to start a new charity called Who's Your High Five, Mm. which aims to spark a movement where people can submit stories about people who've positively impacted them. That's beautiful. Love that. A grocer and a little girl. That is so, that is a good news story right there. Okay, here's another one. An Idaho dad sets world record during a half marathon to show his kids anything is possible. When Chad Kempel crossed the finish line at his first ever half marathon, he wasn't alone. Five of his children were right there with him, secure in a stroller that he pushed the entire way. Last month, Kempel finished the half marathon at California's Oakland Running Festival in two hours and 19 minutes. His four-year-old quintuplets, Lincoln, it's a good name, Noel, (laughs) Grayson, Preston, and Gabriella, plus the stroller weighed... 240 pounds. No. He told today parents that at several points, he wasn't sure if he'd be able to keep going. Then the Idaho resident remembered the message he was holding. I carried a sign with me that said, anything is possible, Kempel said. I repeat that phrase all the time, and it seems to be working. The other day, my daughter was like, I can't lift this. And then she stopped and said, wait, anything is possible. (laughs) Kempel earned a Guinness World Record for his run, his second having also received one in 2019 when he pushed the quintuplets in a marathon. I mean, some people are, you know, not. what's the old saying? Not all superheroes wear capes. Not all superheroes wear capes. I would not want to do this, but I would be cheering this guy on from the sidelines for, for sure. sure yeah. For sure. For sure. Next one. Minnesota news station discovers rare footage of 11-year-old Prince. Come on. As he watched archival footage shot in Minneapolis in April of 1970, WCCO production manager Matt Liddy noticed a familiar face belonging to a little boy who would become a musical icon. The footage was taken during a strike by Minneapolis public school educators and featured interviews with several kids, including one that looked exactly like Prince, who grew up in Minneapolis and went by the nickname Skipper. In the interview, the boy, who never said his name, is asked for his thoughts on the strike, and he replied that teachers should, quote, get some more money because of their hard work. (laughs) The team at WCCO wanted to know for sure if it was Prince. And after some detective work, they met one of Prince's childhood friends, Terrence Jackson. Jackson, who also performed in Prince's first band called Grand Central, instantly recognized the children in the video, including Prince. He said, that is Prince (laughs) standing right there with the hat on, right? That's Skipper. There's no denying it, he told WCCO. The boy in the film was Prince, a.k.a. Skipper to the North Side. Okay, that is cute. I gotta find that video. I want to see Prince as a little kid. That's very fun. Okay, here's another story from the science world. Scientists finished sequencing a complete human genome. 
For the mm. first time, scientists have sequenced a complete human genome, a landmark feat that will help researchers better understand how DNA is different from person to person and the role genetics play in disease. In 2003, the Human Genome Project announced it had sequenced 92% of the human genome, and over the past two decades, a team of nearly 100 scientists has worked to fully reveal the remaining 8%. Having this complete information will allow us to better understand how we form as an individual organism and how we vary not just between other humans but other species, research leader Evan Eichler of the University of Washington told CNN. The newly uncovered genes are highly complex, and in the last 10 years, two new DNA sequencing technologies were developed that allowed researchers to crack their codes. The research was published last week in the journal Science. That's wild to me. That's wild. That is pretty cool. Some people are just brilliant. Brilliant. That's right. All right. Last one. Dog brothers adopted in different states are reunited (gasps) thanks to DNA testing. Stop it. Yeah, you're going to cry. Many (laughs) long lost siblings have been reunited because of DNA ancestry tests. And that goes for canines as well. Andrea Riggle of Houston, Texas, adopted a dog named Renly about the same time Melanie Morrison of Springfield, Oregon, adopted adopted a dog named Sir Lancelot. <laughs> That's a great dog name. Wanting to know more about Renly's breed background, Riggle did a wisdom panel DNA test on him, but didn't log back into the website to learn more information. Morrison used the same DNA test on Sir Lancelot, but did click on the relatives tab and found out he had a brother. <laughs> Renly. No Morrison way. was able to connect with Riggle via Instagram and soon the women were planning a brother reunion in Los Angeles. They documented their journeys to California, capturing Renly and Sir Lancelot swimming in hotel pools Stop! and lounging in beds. <laughs> On the day of the reunion, the brothers, who share a mom and dad and were likely from the same litter, immediately ran to each other no. and started to play their tails wagging the entire no. time. Okay. Can I can I comment on this story please, for a second? Please comment on it. It's sweet. It's like a it's like a a non threatening Disney movie, right? Like totally, it is, it totally. is good. On the other hand, as one who has two dogs and they I, came I from a litter of dogs, I was actually going to ask you about your dog perspective, dog owner perspective. It has never crossed my mind to pay to do a DNA test. It has never crossed my mind to try to find their litter mates. <laughs> They're like dog and it brothers. Would certainly never cross my mind to have them meet halfway like travel and let them lounge together and also my dogs if they see other dogs they're gonna run to them and start playing with them like that's it true no matter that... what it doesn't mean they're so related i'm a huge i'm a huge wet blanket on this one this is a nice story but it is a little bit of like hey bud hey people they're still dogs there's still dogs, so I don't know. Wet blanket, Do you, that, that's me wet blanketing the good news story. Do you remember there's an old, there's an old, it's probably inappropriate, there's an old Will Ferrell sketch from Saturday Night Live where, you know, he's like trying to get his dog to eat his food and like they're talking really sweetly, treating the dog like a baby and then he's finally like, eat your food because you're a dog. And it's like <laughs> remembering like they're not children, they're just animals. And it's, I think this is a sweet story, but like their, when it's like their dogs. When it said that they lounged by the pool and in the bed, you're like, <laughs> what? What? Oh, oh Brian, okay. you're, you're such a cynic. All the dogs I love dogs. I have two of you them. Do. You have love two dogs. them. But this is a bit much. <laughs> they, this is a little bit overboard. Well, let us know what you think about that. And thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. 
For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.